0: We are in a series, and uh, in your Bible, if you didn't bring one, there should be one right in front of you. It's page 555. I made it very literal, very consistent. Actually, I didn't really do that. But if you have your Bible with you, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's get those Bibles open. Let's everybody have a Bible. It is the Word of God. Let's get it in front of us. Even if you're younger, if you can read, get that Bible open. And let's really understand what God is saying to us. And while you're opening that, let me me open up the message with a very unlikely song by the heavy metal group in the 60s and 70s, Black Sabbath. Appropriately titled song, Under the Sun, that's what the song title is. That's a theme in Ecclesiastes. But here's what Ozzy sang. Well, I don't want no preacher telling me about the God in the sky. No, I don't want no one to tell me where I'm going to go when I die. I want to live my life. I don't want people telling me what to do. I just believe in myself because no one else is true. Now, Ozzy Osbourne slurred his way through that declaration of defiance, singing about his determination to live life his way. But Solomon is insisting, he has been insisting for four chapters in Ecclesiastes that life under the sun cannot bring satisfaction and happiness to your soul. Now I'm going to say that again, you ready? Because some of you may be just coming into this series, we're in chapter five, for four chapters, Solomon has been saying over and over from so many different angles, life under the sun life on this earth, cannot bring happiness to your soul. It's impossible. He's been whispering at every turn that Latin phrase, memento mori, which means remember to die. We're going to die. You are. I'm going to. So while you live, Solomon is saying, examine the question, what will be your gain in this life? Now, I'm talking to a lot of people that are hearing these messages, and I think it is really beginning to drip in. The literal truth of the matter is this. We're all going to die. Let's not be afraid of that. We are going to die. If you're here and you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. You're going to die just like a Christian will. One day your time is up, and when you do, what will have been your gain on earth? For life under the sun, which is the same as east of Eden, if you're familiar with the Genesis account, God drove the woman and the man, Adam and Eve, out of Eden, east of Eden. It is under God's curse. All of this planet, all of this creation is under God's curse. And the curse is this, it cannot satisfy you without a relationship with God. You can have everything that the world could possibly offer you, but your soul will be empty. Solomon tried it. He tried it all. He's the king of Israel. He was famous. The whole earth came to see Solomon, to listen to his wisdom, to see what he had done. So Solomon looked for happiness. He looked for it in moral living. He looked for it in all of these created works of art. He looked for it in every kind of pleasure, seven kinds in chapter two that you could possibly imagine. He looked for it in fame and success. Nothing would fill his soul. He finally, after all of these experiments, realizing more and more it is true. I cannot gain satisfaction under the sun if I don't connect my life to God. And then he contemplated what became a very glaring fact. Even this mighty man called Solomon could not control life. He could not control what happened to him. Now let that sober message sink in. Because I would probably guarantee every one of us, me included, that we really loved control. Now you can repackage that under the name, we like to manage our world. It all comes from the same root. There's a sense in all of us that if we could just manage, or more real, if we could just control our lives, then we could get satisfaction, we could get happiness. And the reality is, no, you can control everything, but if you're going to disconnect living from God, again, you're not going to be satisfied. Because Solomon began this glaring reality facing him in chapter 3, that God appoints every season... And every time in your life. And you cannot change that. Yes, you can usher seasons in and seasons out. You can... Start a family if you wanted to. That's certainly a way to usher in a new season. You could quit one job and start another, but that's really not what chapter 3 is talking about. All of these seasons, all of these particular individual moments called times, we're not in control of them. If we were, then half of those in chapter 3 we would never allow to happen because they're negative, they're painful, they're full of suffering. And so we saw of Solomon did that it's better to trust God. It's better to let him be sovereign to recognize to recognize that he brings all things in accordance to his will and simply just enjoy life in the present. Live the way that God wants you to live. Let God choose the times and the seasons. But the question then that we're all going to want to ask, how can we enjoy life when we suffer? How can we enjoy life when more times of suffering are coming? Well, how can you even enjoy life when there's people that are evil around you, when there's all this injustice in this world where people live worse than animals? And so he began to answer that question, and we're going to really see that in chapter 5. How do you live enjoying life when you've got evil all around you and injustice in this world? Well, if we're going to get to that answer, I really have to help you do something that is incredibly difficult. Ironically, as I mentioned this, you're going to think it's not, but it really is very difficult. Look at your Bibles, if you would, chapter 5. Right above the very first verse, you likely have the number 5 or the words chapter 5. Or a title on it. None of that's inspired by God. That is man-made. That's a device that organizes the Bible for us. So when we get to chapter 5, verse 1. Now I want you to hear this. When you get to chapter 5, verse 1. You have to unsee. That's the hard part. You have to unsee the number 5 or the words chapter 5. Because they're not supposed to be in there. They're just little helpful aids for us. Because if you don't unsee it, what you're going to think is that that Solomon's beginning a brand new thought that's disconnected with what he's been saying before. And the reality is, chapter 4 flows directly into verse 1 of chapter 5. He's not changing his thought. He just painted a landscape in chapter 4. This is what life looks like under the sun when it's disconnected from God. There's people that are oppressing the weak and the vulnerable. There's people that are coveting and working out of envy. There's people that are hoarding. There's people that are clamoring for success and willing to step over anybody to get it. And then all of of a sudden he says, but I'm going to show you how to find enjoyable life even in the midst of being surrounded by that. So all of a sudden we're in chapter 5. What we're about to see is that chapter 5 flows naturally from everything that he just said in chapter 4. And here's what we're going to see. I'm going to give you two points. I'm going to break the first one down into three subcategories. Very simple. Here's the first one, worship God. If you want to be able to enjoy life surrounded by evil, Solomon's giving is the key. You've got to learn to worship God. Now, I want you to do something just really quickly while I'm talking, just flip back to chapter four for a second. And I want you to scan through the entire chapter, all right? I want you to just let your eyes sort of speed read through chapter four, and I want you to look for one word, and I'm going to already warn you, you're never going to find it. I want you to find the word God in chapter four. It's not there. Now, you just in case you don't believe me, and that's why I'm asking you to actually look. And I want you to build a notice for yourself. God's name is not mentioned in chapter four. There's a reason for that. It's because Solomon is painting a picture in chapter four. This is what life looks like under the sun without God. He didn't even bring God into the conversation. And not only is God not mentioned anywhere in chapter 4, but also the highest concentration of the use of the name God in the entire book of Ecclesiastes is found right here in chapter 5 in the first seven verses you're going to find it seven times including a pronoun he that is referring to God so now we've got this influx this deluge of Solomon talking about God he can't even not talk about God he never even talked about him in chapter 4 so that's pretty pivotal in your understanding if you really want to learn to worship well he's going to introduce three points Three parts, three themes, and here's the first. If you really want to learn to worship, number one, guard your heart. Look at verse one. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, I don't know what you think of Joel and Victoria Osteen. I would love to talk to you if you want to come up and talk to me about them and their ministry and their message and the gospel or the, rather the lack of it. But Victoria Osteen, Joel's wife, once made this statement. It is incredible. When we obey God, she said, we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. When we come to church or when you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself, now I'm hoping that our church is getting armed like the Bereans to know truth and be able to discern when you're not reading truth because you're not reading truth in that statement. We do not worship God to make ourselves happy. We do not exalt God in order to feel more important. That's exactly opposite of how the Bible encourages us to worship. See, worship for a lot of people has become all about yourself. My desires, my likes, my preferences, what I want, what I don't want. The Bible has one word for that. It's called idolatry. And we're the ones we're worshiping. A very witty insight on this goes like this. A dog says, you pet me, feed me, shelter me, and love me. You must be God. But a cat says, you pet me, feed me, shelter me, and love me, I must be God. It's a very different perspective. Well, there's Christians that have both of those perspectives, and only one of them is correct. And ironically, it's the dogs, because cats are just evil beings. (laughs) This tendency to make much of ourselves is seen in a great many best-selling books. I'm going to give you four titles. I don't think that I could probably lack for titles for the rest of this message, but here's four of them. Your Best Life Now. It's terrible theology. The Prayer of Jabez has sold 10 million copies or more. It is horrendous theology. The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Horrific theology. Jesus Calling is terrible theology. Some of you might have these books. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to teach you to discern between right doctrine and what is wrong. If it is making much of you, if you can reimagine God, if God exists in order to give to us, that is bad theology, which spurns bad worship. See, unfortunately, that kind of theology, this lack of guarding your steps when you go into the house of God, it breeds a faith in many Christians that actually self-destructs when they realize that we exist to make much of God and not the other way around. We say things like, God, why is this difficulty happening? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why am I having car problems? Why, is, why are we not getting what we're asking for? See, it's not u- unusual anymore to think that the Christian life should just automatically yield in blessings, that evil people should lose, that trials are just brief scares that prompt prayer and obedience. That's really the misunderstanding that comes from self-centered worship. We're to guard our steps when we approach our God. Be ready and able to do what Solomon says next. How do you guard your steps? Look what it says in the second part of verse one. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, therefore let your words be few. That's how you worship. You listen well. Sometimes, or some picture uh, some Christians picture themselves praying to God, and he's watching through a divine camera, and he's listening with a set of earbuds, likely not skull candy brand. that's evil. That was a funny joke. Maybe not. The reality is, it's more like this, that God sees more through, he's seeing through an x-ray machine, he's listening with a stethoscope to our chest, he's looking, he's listening, he's wanting to speak into our hearts, he's wanting to gauge and discern where our hearts are. He sees a whole lot deeper, listens a whole lot better than we ever realize. Now you came in here, and I did too. With all kinds of sinful things that we had done this week. Now, can I just tell you something, Christian? I'm so glad that God does not put up on that screen every thought that went through Tim Ackley's mind this last week and everywhere that his eyes went And everything that my hands and my feet did or did not do, I am so glad because I don't think I could stand in front of you. Now, I don't mean to put you in my shoes, but I don't think you could do it either if God did that with you. And I don't believe that I know even a tenth of the ways that I offended God this week. I think sometimes we've got our eyes on the bigger things and we don't realize that the little things... Offend him. Do not speak, Ephesians 4, 29, any unwholesome words. Do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building others up, according to the need of the moment, that it might give grace to those who hear. in the very next verse says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So when I speak in a way that does not build somebody up and instead tears them down, that does not think before I speak according to the need of the moment, that does not bring grace but robs grace, the Spirit of God weeps. How many of us did not speak this week in a way that brought somebody needlessly down? Gossip, slander. See, I don't think we know the tenth of it. That's God's mercy as he unveils slowly what's going on in our hearts. And we come into worship, guarding our steps, listening, because God's going to reveal. God's going to expose. God's going to put the x-ray pictures of our hearts up on that backlit wall. And he's going to point out some masses. that got to get ripped out. He's got to show us where some of his surgery is going to have to go. You know, I have people tell me very, very frequently, Christians, I just don't hear God speak. Do you know I have never, not once, that I can recollect at least, and I've been doing pastoral ministry for 26 years, not once do I ever remember when somebody has said that to me and I've asked them, are you faithfully and consistently and lovingly in God's word? I cannot ever ever remember someone telling me they don't hear god speak when they're in god's word faithfully i believe that's impossible Why? Because when the spirit of truth comes, Jesus said, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you. He will speak to you the things that are to come. So what is the spirit of God doing? He's declaring. He's speaking. He's interceding. He's not only helping us hear from God, he's helping God hear from us. And what's he going to speak? He's going to speak God's word. When you're in God's word and you love it, you have anticipation, you have expectations, you recognize this is from God to speak into your soul. When you come to God's word with that mindset, he's going to open up your ears of your soul and he's going to speak and he's going to enable you to listen. See, the way to hear God is for his spirit to be in you and you in his word. So speak less, listen more. You know what? I've challenged our congregation a couple years ago, and I would challenge you again. And let me tell you, this is ridiculously, almost nearly impossible. But I would challenge you to take this coming week and go into prayer and not ask God for anything. Watch how hard it is. Don't ask him for a thing. Just take one week. Watch how dominant it is that you just pour out to God all the things you need him to give you that he already knows you need or he's never going to give you. How dominant that is and how soul-cleansing it is to just come before him because you want to be with your God. You don't want anything from him. Is it okay to ask for things? Absolutely. Bring your requests before them, the Bible says. Just take a week, though, and watch how hard that is and where your life goes when you learn to listen more than you speak. Well, the third part of worship that Solomon gives us is to humble yourself. If you've ever been to Batavia, Illinois, you probably could visit a statue called the Self-Made Man. It was tipped over by three hooligans who were in had to pay the fine it was restored by the government it's actually pretty amazing it's made from bronze and it depicts a man with a hammer and a chisel carving himself this is an ode to humanism this is american pragmatism in statue form you can make yourself who you want to be and it's that self-exalting pride that Solomon crushes in verse 2 for God verse 1 for God is in heaven and you are on earth therefore let your words be few crushes it it would be like an ant somehow gaining human voice and looking up to you and commanding that you do his will you could crush him in a moment and never even think twice about it god is infinitely greater than us he is in heaven we are on earth so we come to him in humility we know listen we this is how you have humility you know that you cannot see the whole picture he is above us. He sees everything. It would be like trying to describe all the way to the horizon when you're in a valley surrounded by mountains. All you see are the foothills. All you see are the mountains in front of you. You cannot see. I can't see what's over the, the ridge. God's way up here. He's got the vantage point. He sees everything. He's got the full picture. He's above us. He sees it all. He sees the purpose for all the times and the seasons that he's appointing for you. Listen, are you in a trial right now? I very much doubt you truly grasp the full understanding of why God's allowing that trial. Very few of us do. He knows exactly why he's either brought that trial or allowed that trial in your life. And he already sees you at the other end of that trial, having come out of it, and the changes that that trial has brought. See, he sees the full picture. He knows where you are now spiritually. He knows where he's going to get you spiritually before you die on this earth. And he knows where you're going to be in eternity. He's got the full picture. So Solomon's encouraging, do not come to him making rash vows, trying to get him to do what you want, verses 4 through 5. Don't offer long prayers, thinking you're going to wear God down until you get what you want from him, verses 6 through 7. And if you're experiencing injustice, or if you're suffering from the hand of evil, then what do you do? You worship You guard your steps. You listen well. You humble your heart. And when you do, you're going to come out of it with a brand new perspective on everything that is still happening in your life. And that's point number two. Worship changes how you view life. Corey Ten Boom. Man, I tell you what, if you've never read read the book The Hiding Place, please, please, please. Find a copy of it and read it. It is amazing. Corey Ten Boom, her sister Betsy, captured by the Nazis, put into Ravensbrück concentration camp. And while they're there, their barracks had a flea invasion. And Corey is crying out. She has already been taken from her family. Her family's probably dead. She's at least there with her sister. And Betsy comforts her sister, who's crying out in the midst of this flea invasion, lying on straw in the middle of these barracks of a a Nazi concentration camp. They had a Bible among them, one Bible. And that very morning, they had read these words from 1 Thessalonians 5, "'Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, "'help the weak, be patient with them all, "'see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, "'but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. "'Rejoice always, pray without ceasing.'" Giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. They read that this morning. The flea invasion struck. Corey cries out in absolute misery and despair, complaining to God. Betsy, her older sister, said to her, Corey, look what God says. Give thanks in all circumstances, even for the fleas. Something that Corey confesses in that book, The Hiding Place, she didn't think she could ever do. Thank God for the fleas until she realized coming back to the barracks after having to work all day, she overheard a guard say, I'm not going into that barrack. They've got fleas in there. They had freedom to have worship services in their barracks, which was illegal to the Nazis. They had freedom to pray together out loud. They had freedom to hold each other while they cried and confessing to God, we need your grace, we need your mercy. All of that was made possible. All that freedom was given to them because they had so many fleas in their barracks that the guards wouldn't come near. Worship changes how you view life. Do you have fleas of discontent? Do you have fleas of difficulty? Do you have fleas of co Classmates? Neighbors who make life difficult for you? You come into worship, and all of a sudden you're guarding your steps, you're listening well, you're humbling your heart, you come out of worship looking at those neighbors, those coworkers, those classmates, that trial a whole lot different than you did before. And they're still raging all around you. The fleas didn't leave Corey; They were still there. But now she could see the hand of God behind them. That's what worship does. See, we're in need of God's perspective on the evil that surrounds us, or you're going to fall into despair. Like this is what our world's coming to. In Solomon's teaching, that worship gives us a perspective when we come to God listening rather than telling him what we need, he needs to do for us. It gives us a perspective where we can begin to see the full picture. And by the way, this is exactly what happened in Psalm 73. I'd invite you at some point this week to read this psalm When I first stumbled on this many, many years ago, I thought, wow, this is amazingly relevant in our modern day. Here is a psalm written by an author that is absolutely despairing. Why? Because evil people are ruling the day. Why am I bothering to do good when evil people get away with everything? That's the gist of the entire first half of his psalm. And it's while worshiping God that he began to see how bitter he was toward God. Have you ever seen that? Has God ever shown your complaints against him? That's coming from a root of bitterness in your heart towards God? That is so not unusual. And this author of Psalm 73 is crying out, God, where's your justice? Why don't you do something about these people? The righteous are being downtrodden, the evil are succeeding. And as normal, God does not ever answer his why question. For this is a life of trusting him. What the author realizes in verse 17 is that when I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end, the end of those who were doing evil. His vision cleared. God showed him that evil people are going to die one day. And when they do, they're going to stand before the great white throne upon which Jesus himself will rule. And they will get their comeuppance. They will get what they deserve for God's justice is perfect. And that same vision shift that comes through worship occurs with Solomon. Solomon who now looks back at all of the same wicked people in chapter 4, now with a different set of lenses. Let me say that again. From verse verse 8 of chapter 5 all the way to the end, all he's doing is going back to chapter 4, and he's looking at it a whole lot differently. This is the power of worship. And he says in verse 8, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. This is typical government bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. Nothing's changed. It's just as modern now as it was ancient then. Government makes a mess of everything, right? It makes a mess of everyone. Who suffers the most? The poor, the vulnerable. I mean, come on, you have to have seen this now. You must be feeling and resonating with this, the evil and the the helplessness that you feel in America right now with all of what's going on. Do you not feel that? Lord Acton once said many centuries ago, many decades ago, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. And this is a worldwide problem of evil, and those who suffer the most... Are the vulnerable. There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon's seeing the same thing that we're seeing. So, when we're listening to the news and you're getting angry or you're getting anxious, what do you need to do? You need to worship. Because when you worship and you're guarding your steps and you're listening to God through His Word and you're humbling your heart, all of a sudden you see God hasn't left the throne. God is still ruling. God is still bringing all things according to his will. He's bringing all things to the perfect end. Nothing has usurped his power. He's greater than all. He's greater than everything. Your time, your season is exactly what God has appointed. And now you can hear it. Now you can sense it. You've guarded your steps. You've humbled your heart. Now all of a sudden, God, I want to exalt you. I want to live obediently to you. I want to do good and enjoy life now. See, God's put a virus into the system of oppression, verse 10. He who loves money, they're not going to be satisfied with money ever. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. This also is vanity. This is the virus. You can get all the money you want, but satisfaction's extra. It's not coming from this life under the sun. Why? Because God's designed us to only be able to be satisfied when we love Him. And we're in a relationship with him. Gaining power over others, exploiting, all that's going to gnaw a hole in your soul. It's going to end in judgment. Amassing wealth for selfish purposes only whets a constant appetite for more. It's like a drug. You know, we've got some wealthy people in our church, actually several of them. It is an absolute joy to watch them use that money generously Not clamoring for more of it, thinking that if you get more money, then you've got yourself a guaranteed lifelong security of peace. Are you kidding me? That's never going to happen because God could take it away in a second. Pursuing sex outside of marriage it leaves you like a dried out husk. It leaves you empty, desolate of joy. Injecting into your body drugs it strips meaning from your soul. By the way, is something that the rock band Nine Inch Nails lamented in their song "Hurt," that Johnny Cash covered in two thousand three. I think he did it better. Here is what Nine Inch Nail says: Trent Reznor, the needle tears a hole in the old familiar, the, the old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. This is Ecclesiastes. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down, I will make you hurt. That's the product of life under the sun. It cannot make you happy. Death is the virus, everybody's going to die. And all those efforts to distract and to distance yourself from that final day when your life is over, it's futile. And Solomon, he's not going to pull a punch. Look what he writes in verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. "...riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. He is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he's going to go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he can carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? None." Not only will that virus of death get you in the end, it fouls the entire program of living while you're alive. That's what verse 17 means. Moreover, all of his days he eats in darkness and much anxiety, vexation, and sickness, and anger. The more you have, the more it has you, verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? There's no advantage. You can hoard. You can stockpile. You can amass. You can make Amazon your favorite service. But in the end, you're going to be miserable if you're disconnected from a relationship with God. Now, I'm almost done. So let me bring this to a bit of a close. Give me just a couple more minutes. The love of gain from any source other than God, it's got to be ripped out of us. And the key to that process, here it is. You ready? Guard your steps, listen well, and humble yourself. Worship. And you can gain the entire world's treasures, but Solomon's going to guarantee satisfaction sold separately. You're not going to be happy. And you cannot gain satisfaction from anything under the sun, but you can enjoy life now when God dominates the picture. And you see that in verse 18. Can you read it with me? Behold, what have I seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil, With which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. You don't make a lot of money? Can you be content in that? Not if you don't worship. You don't have very good health, and it's been like that for years. Can you be content in that? Not if you don't worship. You don't get to go on those big vacations that you see everybody else doing on Facebook. Can you be content in that? You cannot unless you learn to worship. Because if you need more money to enjoy your life, God would have given it. So what you have is all you need for joy. Do you believe that? Well, you will when you guard your steps, listen to God speak, and humble your heart. If you grasp for more, you're going to forfeit your joy. If you are seeking gain from under the sun, you're going to find you cannot get it. And when you are satisfied with what God has given you, you will work from You will not work rather from envy or hoard it possessively. You're never going to withhold it from those who need. Instead, you're truly going to live. You will begin. This is the most amazing thing, and this is what I'm experiencing in my life. You're going to lose the fear of death. You're not going to keep worrying that life is too short. Look at verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You're going to love life. You're not going to worry about the things you can't control, and you're not going to be fixated on the day of your death. Friends, there is a great deal of evil in this world, and you can easily, like me, despair. What do we do? You ready? You go to God with guarded steps. Let him examine your heart. Take those x-ray pictures. Put that stethoscope to you. Show you what needs to be surgically removed. You listen to him speak through his word. You have humility, realizing you cannot know the big picture. But God certainly does. So let him pull that anxiety, that coveting, that despair, that sin out of your heart. Give you a brand new perspective with joy. And you can learn to be content with what he has given you now. And you can learn to enjoy life now. You can learn to look for satisfaction and him alone. And the virus in the system, it's in this system for us as well, death. You're all going to die. I'm going to die too. It's not going to have power over you. For you will live forever in eternity, enjoying true riches without even a trace of evil anywhere around you. That's our future, Christian. Amen?